Welcome back to another edition of SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. I'm Blake Tutmeyer alongside John Adams, and we are taking a look today at some of the upcoming quarterback competitions throughout the SEC. We're about oh, about a month away from spring practice uh, approaching here in, in some locations throughout the conference, and, and about half the schools in the SEC, it seems like, have a clear-cut starter, and about six or seven or so seem to have a legitimate two- or three-man competition. Now, John, what I think is interesting is, I guess back in the quote-unquote old days, if you had a quarterback competition between two or three guys, I think you could feel like, okay, when when spring practice is over, you you might have a good feeling of, of who the starter is going to be. Now, now, I think we could probably make some inferences in some cases, but don't you think as much as possible, these coaches at schools where there's two or three guys in the competition are going to try to act like it's a wide open competition to keep the backups, even though they may know good and well who's going to be the backup, they don't want that backup going to the transfer portal. So you try to draw out the drama as long as possible. Yeah, it's really an old coaching ploy to do that. They all competition is their mantra. They want to uh, confirm that at every opportunity they get, it's all about competition, competition. Every job is wide open. Um, So spring, that's why one reason spring has often been so meaningless because you know at the end of spring, the competition will simply resume in preseason practice. Uh, But this is a little different, and I don't think the guys are buying it now. I think they're pretty astute about this. I think the players involved in the competition, and I'm talking mainly about quarterbacks here, they know who's what the hierarchy is, even if it's not spelled out on a depth chart. They know they're if they're number three, maybe number two. And there are some cases where the guys are neck and neck, sure. But the number three guy can't stick around. We just saw Taven Jackson leave Tennessee. Uh, he's enrolled in Indiana. And he was behind Joe Milton and Nico Alamalava. And I know I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. But anyway, he was behind those guys. So he just said, yeah, the writing's on the wall. I'm out of here. And I think you'll see that happening all over the country. Well, and we saw it to a different extent, I guess, at, at uh, LSU. You know, Walker Howard was uh, a highly touted recruit in Brian Kelly's first signing class. Had been the third string quarterback, though, last year behind Jaden Daniels and Garrett Nussmeyer. And while Walker Howard seems to have a really promising upside, both Daniels and Nussmeyer returned this year. And so I think he probably saw the writing on the wall another year being the number three quarterback at LSU. And so he transfers to Ole Miss. Now it's a crowded competition at Ole Miss. That'll be one we discussed today with Jackson Dart, the incumbent, and another transfer, Spencer Sanders. Uh, but I guess it does... It's a different cast of characters, at least for Walker Howard. Sometimes that's that's all this is when guys transfer is if you know you're not going to to be number one on the depth chart where you are, you, you give it a shot somewhere else, even though it may not change the the end result in, in many cases. Yeah, and well, I've been surprised at, in, in the last few years at some of the transfer destinations. If I'm a quarterback and I've got one transfer, I want to go somewhere – I realize you can't always know for sure you're going to be the guy, but you can get a pretty good indicator. It means stepping down probably in level of play. And that's kind of a 
That's a blow to the ego. Nonetheless, do you want to go sit on a bitch somewhere else? What's the point of that? This is, this is your last, in most cases, your last big move. You got to get it right. And we see guys go off somewhere else and whoops, there's somebody maybe even better. And you can't always know for sure, but you can get a, you could get a good indicator. Uh, for example, at the end of spring of this spring practice, if I were a quarterback, I wouldn't decide to enroll at Ole Miss as my transfer destination. <laughs> They've got three guys there that can play a little bit. So you got to be careful. It's tricky. All right, let's get into a few of these, John. And uh, let's let's start with Tennessee. Tennessee is losing Hendon Hooker. Uh, had a phenomenal season last year, one of the best years by a Tennessee quarterback ever. Towards ACL at the toward the end of the season, and Joe Milton stepped in, someone we've seen quite a bit of in the past. He was a one-time starter at Michigan, didn't really work out for him, had a huge arm, wasn't particularly accurate, transferred to Tennessee. He opened the 2021 season as the starter, started a couple games, same deal for Josh Heupel as it was at Michigan. Huge arm wasn't very consistent or accurate. But when he came in at the end of this season and replaced Hooker, he looked really good. He, he was he was fine against Vanderbilt, but then in the season finale in the Orange Bowl against Clemson, he was he was very, very good. MVP honors in that game. Was he hitting Hooker good? Probably not, but few guys would be uh, the way Hooker played this past year. He was very solid uh, in that Orange Bowl. You mentioned, though, there's five-star freshman, Nico Iamaleava, from here forward, we will just call him Nico. Nico is is the number one ranked recruit nationally by on three quarterbacks, any position. Number one overall recruit. He's enrolled. And so that's the two-man competition right now at, at Tennessee. How do you handicap this one? Who do you see winning the job? The veteran, Joe Milton, with the howitzer, who has finally harnessed it in the Orange Bowl? Or uh, Mr. Pajama Pants, Nico? <laughs> He loves those pajama pants and he loves NIL deals. Kind of has, uh, kind of likes, uh, dark glasses too. It's a, it's a Hollywood look for Nico, but from what I told, he can do it on the field. It's, it's not all about, uh, the looks it, it, he can get it done. And he, he played really well, or I should say practice very well in preparation for the orange bowl running the scout team, really high upside with him. I think, I, I think Joe Milton will win the job and he will open the season as a starter. But I think at some point the job could be Nico's. Um, not necessarily that, that Joe Milton will play poorly. There's good evidence that he won't play poorly, that he will do well. As, uh, an example of that was against Clemson in the Orange Bowl, as you mentioned. But I'm just, you look back at, First of all, you look back, he had the job a couple of years ago. In 21, he had the job. Uh, lost it in the second game. Didn't distinguish himself, but he also was hurt. And that's the other factor in this. It's hard to get through an SEC season with one starting quarterback. It, it's a challenge. It's not the NFL, but it's the next, the next closest thing. So that, to me, would be an issue. I just think at some point, from everything I've heard about Nico, that at some point he will be the quarterback next season. Um, but uh, I, I don't mean that as a knock on Milton. I, I, I like the way he played in the in the Orange Bowl. 
Yeah, I, 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 I'm kind of on the same page as you are, John. The last thing Tennessee wants is for Joe Milton to make one more transfer. I mean, he'd, he'd be a graduate transfer. So even though he's transferred once before, those graduates can continue to move around. And the last thing Tennessee should want would be to lose Joe Milton because then you're going into the summer with Nico, who's never taken a college snap and nothing else. So I think because of the way he played in the Orange Bowl, because he's a veteran, and because you really don't want to lose Joe Milton, I think Joe Milton I a very, very strong chance of coming into the season as your QB1. Um, however, and, and you're not going to lose Nico. He's not going to, as a true freshman early enrollee, uh, can't imagine he he says in April, oh, I didn't win the starting job in three months. I'm out of here. Even in this transfer era, uh, we don't really see much of that from guys, particularly guys that are reported to be making as much uh, in NIL as as Nico has been reported to, to be doing at Tennessee. So I think Milton goes into the season as the starter, but I'm kind of like you. I think Nico's upside is so high. I think he'll be knocking on the door throughout practice. So if there's any stumble throughout Milton this year or or any injury for certain, but but even if there's not an injury, if there's a stumble, I think we could see Nico um, get some extended time as a freshman, maybe even start a few games. So I, th- I think we're kind of on the same page there. Yeah, well, I also another factor in this, Blake, is Tennessee averaged slightly over 46 points per game last season, led the nation in points per game as well as total yards per game. When you have that kind of a ceiling, when you're when when you're at the very top of college football and offense, it's it's tough. You've got to match that kind of production. So you could be doing pretty well in this offense, uh, as Tennessee did uh, and Joe Milton did against Clemson. But when you try to average 46 points a game, and that's what this system is capable of producing with Josh Heupel running it, um, you, you've got a real challenge there. It, it's uh, it, it's difficult to keep that, to maintain that pace. All right, John, let's, let's pivot now to Georgia. Georgia in, in need of replacing Stetson Bennett, the two-time defending national champions. They have the roster elsewhere, I think to be among, if not the very favorite, to win the national championship this year. Now, we know how hard it is to three-peat in college football. Nobody has done it since, uh, well, nobody's done it in the modern era. Nobody's done it at all since Minnesota in the 1930s. But they do have the roster talent in in most places. Quarterback is the question mark, but they have a lot of highly uh, recruited guys with, with good rankings who've been in the program now. The three-man competition there is is Carson Beck, Brock Vandegrift, and Gunnar Stockton. Carson Beck was the backup throughout this past season. You, you'd say he was number two, and and then probably Vandegrift and, and Gunnar Stockton um, behind him. Do you see Carson Beck winning the job, or do you see someone like a Brock Vandegrift, you know, former five-star recruit, being able to to wrangle this thing away? I would really favor Carson Beck there. Um, uh, Georgia's, Georgia has become synonymous with quarterback competitions in the last few years. Even while it's winning, everybody kept thinking someone would beat out Stetson Bennett. They couldn't do that. Uh, JT Daniels, Dewan Mathis all fell by the wayside, and Bennett won a couple of national titles. And so Carson Beck showed me last year and and people I've talked to from Georgia say that Todd Monken, the offensive coordinator, distinguished offensive coordinator, 
really likes him. Now, what if Mocking gets an NFL job? That could make the competition more wide open. But he supposedly really likes Beck. He knows the offense inside and out. He's got a good arm. He's not as mobile as Stetson Bennett. I don't know about Vandegrift, but I know uh, Gunnar Stockton is very athletic. He can run. So a new offensive coordinator could come into play here. But if Monken stays, I can't imagine Beck not starting. Now, can he keep the job? Again, he has so many weapons around him. And a good offensive line, uh, Georgia, the linchpin of that line to uh, Georgia's Seth Van Praan is returning. It started center. That was a that was a good decision for Georgia, looking ahead to twenty three. So, I, I think uh, Beck can hold the job uh, if he does win it. And what the other guys will do uh, will that lead Georgia quarterback poor? Uh, can't worry about that at this point. You've got three guys, and and you just got to pick the best one. And I think right now Beckett is the clear leader. Yeah, and the other thing, John, I, I feel like Kirby Smart's a guy who favors experience. A lot of coaches do at the quarterback position, but I think Kirby particularly favors experience. And I think the fact that Carson Beck's been in the program the longest now, he's been a backup for a couple years. Uh, he was the primary backup this season to Stetson Bennett. You know, he. He wasn't throwing a bunch of passes out there. Normally, by the time he got in the game, it was it was blowout territory. Uh, for Georgia, he threw a couple passes at the national championship. Uh, his most extended time was in a blowout game against Vanderbilt, I believe. So, but he but he's the most veteran guy. If you think back to whenever Georgia had the QB situation with Jake Fromm and Justin Fields, you know Justin Fields was the was the exciting young talent, the freshman. But Fromm was the returning starter. The he had a year on Justin Fields, the you know one year more veteran guy, and, and Kirby stuck um, with with Justin Fromm, uh, or excuse me, Jake Fromm. Uh, he stuck with Jake Fromm over Justin Fields. And I'm not saying it'll play out in the exact same way here, but I do think like Ty goes to the veteran. So if it's splitting hairs between which of these guys he wants, I think Carson Beck's going to get the first shot at this thing. Yeah, that's a good point. When you look back at Kirby, it's not just at quarterback. You look at running back, the the hierarchy at running back at Georgia. It's always favored the veteran. It, it would be like Georgia always seemingly has four running backs who can play. And it starts out with the veteran. We saw Branson Robinson, a very talented freshman. He was the last guy up. He, he would come in in the fourth quarter. Obviously a very talented guy. But that's how Kirby, Kirby's played it, and it's worked. Everything points to Beck being the starting quarterback there. Okay, moving along, let's stay in the SEC East, and we will head over to Missouri, where Brady Cook returns as the incumbent. He's been the starter for a couple years now, and, and at times, Brady Cook has, has looked pretty decent. He was he was good and, and solid in the, that win over Arkansas. Uh, toward, at, at the end of the regular season. But there seems to be a ceiling with with Brady Cook, and I think he maybe has reached it. You, you kind of know what you're getting. You're getting an all right quarterback. Um, you know, you're not going to get to get someone who, who lights up a lot of defenses. But overall, he did complete 65% of his passes last season, but Missouri's offense was was fairly stagnant. In, in the games that it lost, which was several of them. So he's back as the incumbent. You have Sam Horn, 
who is a true freshman last year, played sparingly, but he was he was once a very highly rated recruit uh, for, for Eli Drinkwitz, a dual threat guy, football and, and baseball, but uh, seems like he's he's continuing forward here with, with football, and I wonder if he might be able to uh, wrestle this job away in year two. Maybe he's got a better handle on the playbook this year. And then they brought in Jake Garcia, who we saw toward the end of last season. He's a transfer from Miami. Um, and, you know, the year before, Eli Drinkwitz brought in Jack Abraham, the Mississippi State transfer. He was not able to win the job. It was still Brady Cook. And I just wonder, Jake Garcia, is, is he going to unseat the incumbent? Um, you know, he, he, he played in that... Uh, that game against Pittsburgh at the end of the year, he was okay. I don't know that I saw enough to make me think that he's definitely winning the job. But uh, who's your pick there in the competition at Missouri? Well, I kind of favor Brady Cook. Uh, I haven't seen much of uh, Garcia. He didn't excel at Miami. Certainly, he hasn't lived up to his recruiting notices. Um Sam Horn, I will kind of wonder about him. He is, as you mentioned, a baseball guy, too. Um, I thought Brady Cook improved. I, I didn't see him being much of an SEC quarterback going into last season. I just thought it was inevitable someone would beat him out. A transfer would come in. Now I'm not so sure. His percentage completion uh, completions uh, improved last season. You said at 65%. He's a he's a much better runner than I first realized, and uh, so I think that I would still favor uh, I would still favor Brady Cook there. I mean, do, do you think Garcia can come in and take that job? I don't think so. I mean, the one thing I worry about with Brady Cook, he had offseason uh, surgery on his shoulder, his throwing shoulder. Um, I believe it was a, a labrum injury. Now, if you're glass half full, you're saying, well, he played most of last season with that injury. Um, you know, according to reports, it, it, that, that was an injury he suffered early in the year and and he played. Now, so glass half full says, well, if that's what he did healthy or excuse me, if that's what he did injured, complete 65 percent of his passes, well, he has surgery to repair that injury and he's going to be slinging darts out there next year. And And the other thing I think is, well, if Sam Horn, I get it, he was a freshman, but if Sam Horn couldn't unseat Brady Cook while he had a shoulder injury, <laughs> is he going to be able to unseat Brady Cook after he has the surgery to repair the injury? So, yeah, I think I would probably go with the leader in the clubhouse here, even with that caveat of, of Cook coming off of shoulder surgery. I think I think he he retains the job unless the problem with with Sam Horn was all that he didn't know the offense. If it if it boiled down entirely to that guy did not have a handle on the offense, he wasn't ready to run the system. Then I think he probably wins the job. But if it was something else, if it wasn't if he knew the offense and he just couldn't unseat Brady Cook last year, then I don't see why it would be any different this year. Yeah, I'm watching Missouri uh, in some of its worst moments, I didn't get the idea that that offense was especially complex. Uh, opposing defenses didn't always think so, that's for sure. Uh, you break up a good point about the injury, though, if he could do that while hurt. If this is like baseball and you have you see all these pitchers that have shoulder surgery, of course, there's a popular Tommy John surgery. Guys not only come back from that, they come back better they're throwing harder. So maybe that's what we will see from uh, Brady Cook. 
Missouri fans aren't aren't all in on Cook. I know that. I've talked to a couple of them. Well, the most popular guy on any roster is either sure. the second string quarterback. Unless you've seen the second string quarterback and he also stinks, then then you want the third string quarterback. He's he's the solution. Uh, John and Alabama has maybe one of the most interesting quarterback competitions of the spring. We we thought maybe Alabama would add a transfer going into spring practice. They didn't. They have a couple of freshmen there, but really the headliners in the competition are Jalen Milrow, whom we saw start against Texas A&M. Ty Simpson, though, was a, was a five-star freshman last year. He was the third stringer behind Bryce Young and Jalen Milrow. Now, Milrow is a tremendous athlete. He can really run it. Uh, didn't look so smooth as a passer when, when we saw him in relief of Bryce Young this past year. Turned the ball over three times in that narrow victory against Texas A&M. Ty Simpson, bit of a mystery. Uh, we don't we don't know. He went to a small high school in Tennessee, had a, had a great high school career, um, and and perhaps the reason he wasn't the backup last year was as simple as he was a true freshman, and so Nick Saban felt more comfortable with the with him at, at third string. I kind of lean toward Simpson here, John, just because we saw Milrow and. I don't think I saw enough to make me believe he's going to be Alabama's starter. Uh, I just, I don't know. I, I It didn't feel like those three turnovers against Texas A&M were a fluke. So I think we're going to see Simpson, but, but what are your thoughts? Are you, are you more in the, in the Milrow camp? I'm in transfer camp. I, I don't, I know Alabama didn't add one, but I think it's crucial that Alabama, um, Add somebody else. I mean, Ole Miss is picking up quarterbacks right and left. Uh, in that second transfer portal opportunity, um, you know, bring out that wheelbarrow barrow full of uh, NIL cash and uh, roll it up to the doorstep of a quarterback somewhere else and say, hey, you want to be the quarterback of Alabama, win a national championship, go on and play in the NFL, probably start as a rookie. Have a think Alabama has a lot to offer. I wonder, I, I just don't see it happening with Jalen Milrow, but I, I'm trying to think back. Remember KJ Jefferson in Arkansas is a freshman. I wondered if he were a polished enough passer to be a competent SEC quarterback. You could tell he could run. He could run over people at his size. He was a he's a challenge for a linebacker, much less a safety. Uh, and cornerbacks need to stay out of the way. He's gotten even bigger. Miller isn't that big, but he is a dynamic runner, and he's hard to tackle in the open field. He runs strong. Maybe Nick Saban sees potential in him as a passer. The and with the mindset, he will get keep getting better. I have a hard time. I, I when you're competing for a national championship. I would like to base my decisions on something a little more. I would want an upgrade. If you're, we're not looking at on down the line or in a couple of years, we're talking about right now going for national championship. I would really look hard at the transfer portal, but Nick Saban has been doing this a long time with more success than anybody. So maybe he knows what he's doing here. And, and you're right about Ty Simpson. He's really a blank slate, and he was a highly rated quarterback, but he also played at a very small school. I, just, I, I don't know what he can do. So that will be perhaps the most interesting quarterback 
competition we have this spring and, and even coming out of spring going into preseason. I, I think if Alabama would have added a transfer in the winter, I, I could see a transfer winning that job. I, with Nick Saban, you know, every time you think that the sport's going to leave him behind, he evolves and he catches up with the direction of where it was going, or sometimes he he speeds past everybody. We've, we've certainly seen that too. We saw him do it with his offense that he brought Lane Kiffin in several years ago to help modernize as an offensive coordinator. Uh, he's cranked up the tempo at times throughout his coaching career. He's gone to a more pass-oriented system as the game did that. And so staying with the times would be to bring in a transfer quarterback and hand him the keys. I just think if Alabama was going to do that, they probably would have done it before spring practice. I don't know that I think I, I see Saban you know, coming out of the spring, seeing who's in the portal uh, come the end of April, and then adding a quarterback in, in May or June with a new offensive coordinator, a new system, and saying, well, here's our offense. You're our starter. Go do it. I, I just think it's going to be someone already in the program. And uh, so I, I lean toward Ty Simpson, which, you know, Ty Simpson could be uh, not very good at all. We didn't see him very much last year. Now, everything you hear at Alabama, that's not the case. Seems like some of the uh, the whispers out of Alabama is that this is a guy with a lot of upside. But that's also the type of thing you tend to hear when there's a, a mystery candidate behind the door number two, and you want to believe that he's he's a prospect with with a lot of upside. But if this were another school, another coach, I think I'd say, yeah, they're going to bring in a transfer and and they'll hand him the offense. I just don't know if I see Nick Saban doing that. We haven't seen him do it yet. That's the one evolution. He's been on board with some of the transfers. He hasn't gone gone as hard in the portal as some coaches have. Now, when you're signing number one ranked recruiting classes, I don't know that you have to, but he has gone into the portal. Jameer Gibbs last year, a really good running back from Georgia Tech. He was a portal guy, and they had a handful of others. So he's not he's not averse to using the portal. I just don't know if I see him doing that this late in the calendar with, with his quarterback spot. There's always JT Daniels, <laughs> yes, who is, he, uh, who is touring his... North America's transfer quarterback. Uh, where did he last land? Do you, do you know that? I've I've lost track of him. When he, guys transferred that many times, uh, he was uh, started out at Southern Cal, went to Georgia, went to West Virginia, and he started some at every spot. He's at Rice now, John. Just looked it up. He's at Rice. I don't know if you can go from Rice to Alabama. So I think we've well, exhausted that possibility. Maybe he's looking at it a degree now. Rice is a is an impressive school. So I don't know. I think they, they used to have a good engineering school, I thought. Maybe he's an engineer, but why not? I mean, he's obviously not averse to moving around. So at the end of spring, if you don't like how things are, JT, you sure he's a graduate many times over, I would think. Just bring him in. Yeah, I'm not liking that plan. Okay. <laughs> Ole Miss, John, we talked about it on the podcast last week through the lens of the transfers. They added two of them, Spencer Sanders, whom I know you are the champion of the Spencer Sanders fan club, <laughs> uh, started uh, many, many years at Oklahoma State. Hasn't been around the college game quite as long as Jaden Daniels, I don't I don't think, but it seems like uh, he's, he's been here for a long, long time. It's because he was starting the whole time he was at Oklahoma State, not coming off of his best, best season. However, glass half full says, well, he was playing hurt last year. So if he gets healthy, look at the upside there as a dual-threat guy in Lane Kiffin's offense. Kiffin, of course, loves those quarterbacks who can run. Jackson Dart is the incumbent. 
We saw him last year, really good runner, really tough guy, not afraid to take a hit. Doesn't always see the field so well, had some problems in the red zone, and um, you wonder if maybe Lane Kiffin sees a ceiling there in his starter, and that's why he he went out and got a tr- couple of transfers. And then the, the youngest guy, Walker Howard, the former uh, highly ranked recruit out of, out of Brian Kelly's first recruiting class, whom we mentioned earlier. Uh, I got a feeling I know which way you're going, but who's your pick in this starting quarterback competition? Well, I uh, just uh, the decision making's on decision making on Kiffin's part tells me he's moved on from Jackson Jackson Dart. Yeah, he has a. You can put together a really good highlight video with Jackson Dart, but his consistency was lacking. So why would you go out and get not one but two other quarterbacks? Uh, to me, Jackson Dart, I, I don't know if he's capable of being a graduate transfer at this point. Uh, but gosh, I'd be looking elsewhere if I were if I were Jackson Dart. Um, as for Walker Howard, uh, he was the third guy at LSU. And uh, all potential aside, he was the third guy. So I think Kiffin maybe sees Walker Howard as his his future starter, but right now it's got to be Spencer Sanders. And and I know the criticism of him, but as you mentioned, he does have a history of playing hurt. Now you can look at that and say, well, if he's always hurt, how can you count on him last in the season? On the other hand, he's got the intangibles. Teammates really respect him, perhaps because he does play hurt. He answers the bell every time if there's any way he can physically. He's played in a lot of big games, played in a lot of pressure situations, had some really good games in those situations. Consistency, not not a top-drawer quarterback, but maybe on that next line. And so with Kiffin's, with Kiffin's acumen as a quarterback coach and the way he runs an offense, to me, Lane Kiffin sees Spencer Sanders as somebody I can work with and somebody I can win with. And uh, I remember when he was a coach in one one fast supercharged season at Tennessee back in 2009. He took a, he inherited a quarterback named Jonathan Crompton. High, great potential, but he hadn't really done much at Tennessee. Kiffin really turned him around, so much so that he was drafted, got a nice contract. So I, I think I like the possibility of Kiffin and Spencer Sanders, I think this could work out. Yeah, I'm, I'm not as high on, on Spencer Sanders' upside as, as a passer, um, and I guess his overall ceiling is, as maybe I, I guess some people are. But I do think, I agree with you, I, I can't see why Spencer Sanders would have come here to sit the bench or would come here um, you know, to be like an emergency guy if, if, if Jackson Dart gets hurt or something like that. Like, And I don't know how Kiffin would have been able to persuade him that that's the case. As you said, quarterbacks generally have a pretty good read on things, especially an older guy like Spencer Sanders. You might pull the wool over the eyes of an 18-year-old. I don't think you're going to pull the wool over over the eyes of a guy who's who's been a four-year starter at Oklahoma State. So the fact that he got on board with this thing tells me Spencer Sanders believes he's going to be the starter at Ole Miss, and and there's probably a, a reason he believes that. So I think if I were to have picked someone, even though I'm not convinced Spencer Sanders gives you a better, more consistent passer 
and what Jackson Dart does, I think he's going to be the guy. I, I think there's a reason why why he was brought here, and I don't think it was to be the third string quarterback. All right, rapid fire mode, John. Uh, just a couple more. Jaden Daniels or, or Garrett Nussmeyer? Daniels was was very very good for LSU this past year. Got better as the season went along. At one point, even kind of inserted himself on the fringe of the Heisman conversation. Nussmeyer came in in relief, got some playing time against Georgia in the SEC championship. Looked really good. Looked good against Purdue in the uh, the bowl game. But we see Jaden Daniels still being the starter there with with Nussmeyer potentially being the QB of the future if he sticks around? Yeah, I think so. I like what I saw of Nussmeyer, particularly against uh, Georgia in the SEC championship game and then in the bowl game. He can throw the ball. But we have to look back at the history here. Uh, Brian Kelly saw in Jaden Daniels at Arizona State, who wasn't a spectacular passer there at Arizona State. Brian Kelly saw, this is a guy that can make my offense work. And he was right, and Daniels has improved as a passer with some good receivers around him. So I think it's Jaden Daniels' job. I agree. And and the other thing I would add is Brian Kelly tends to like mobile quarterbacks. Nussmeyer can move. He's no statue. He's a good runner. Jaden Daniels is a very good runner. Um, I've said before that I thought if Nussmeyer transferred, he could have been a starter elsewhere in the SEC. I almost think at this point, though, it may behoove him to stick it out at LSU. This is Jaden Daniels' last year. Nussmeyer's a redshirt sophomore. He sticks it out this year, gets some playing time as a backup like he did this past year. I I think he could be a two-year starter there at LSU. We don't see a lot of guys do that, spend a few years as a backup anymore and be the starter, but Nussmeyer stuck it out this long. I almost wonder if that's a better play for, for him. One more, John, at Florida. Of course, Florida thought they were signing touted recruit Jaden Rashada, and that's become the widely publicized uh, unraveling of, of that marriage, an NIL deal blowing up, and and Florida not being able to take that to the finish line. So their so they're stud freshman they were supposed to be bringing in is not in the mix. So they have transfer Graham Mertz from Wisconsin or Jack Miller, who we saw in the bowl game against Oregon State, and, well, Florida got blown out in that bowl game against Oregon State. But that's sort of where the conversation is right now for Florida. You think it's going to be Mertz or you think it's going to be Miller? I think it almost has to be Mertz from what I saw of Jack Miller. Granted, he was in a very difficult situation that bowl game against a much better Oregon State team with a really good defense. And Florida was overwhelmed. Uh, Miller didn't look as though he belonged as an SEC quarterback based on that one game. So you you look to Graham Mertz again. The coach goes out and gets this transfer. Uh, he's got to be pretty much convincing that he's the guy that we have to have. He'll be the number one guy. Um, gosh, I, I just I don't think that was a great pickup. I think in the SEC you need somebody better at quarterback. You look around the SEC East at the competition at quarterback with Carson Beck at Georgia, Joe Milton, uh, Nico at Tennessee, Spencer Rattler at South Carolina, uh, Devin Leary from NC State going to Kentucky. Now, that would have been a transfer worth having. Graham Mertz, I just I just don't see that. But I, I think he'll be the quarterback. John, I don't, I don't know if this is a hot take, an outlandish take or not, but I, I don't feel like it is. 
I think you could make the case that Florida's starting quarterback situation right now for this season is the worst situation in the SEC East and maybe the worst situation in the entire conference. Now, I guess you could say Vanderbilt. Well, do we know if AJ, how big is the upside of AJ Swan? You know, Missouri, we've talked about Brady Cook there, Sam Horn, Jake Garcia. But I think I would rather have the situation at, at just keeping it to the, confining it to the East. And I think this is true of the West as well, but confining it to the East, I think I'd rather have any other quarterback situation than Florida's right now. I mean, Graham Mertz, yeah, he's a veteran with a lot of starts, but I mean, guy completed 57% of his passes last year and threw 10 interceptions. I, I, I think it's a real bleak situation for, for the university of, of Danny Warfold, Steve Spurrier and, and Tim Tebow to have Graham Mertz being the headline guy in your quarterback competition. And I think probably the plan was you bring in a veteran to sort of bridge the gap between Anthony Richardson and your new recruit, Jaden Rashada, but now you don't have Rashada. And so I think you could have Mertz being the, being the guy wire to wire here. And I think that really puts a ceiling on, on Florida and, and Billy Napier's second season. Puts a pressure on Billy Napier in his second season. He he's, uh, you look at what hap- what's happened already, a losing season, doesn't have a quarterback. The whole the way the whole the fiasco with the um with the NIL money and Rashada and all that and him backing out of his deal, it just doesn't look good. It looks at a as a coach, you look at it at Billy Napier as a guy seemingly highly organized, very detailed oriented, but that's not what you see with the program right now mainly because of the quarterbacks that it just like, well, what was he thinking if Anthony Richardson turned pro? Couldn't he get a better transfer? Couldn't he get Devin Leary maybe at NC State? I I just think it raises a lot of questions about Napier. John, I want to leave the quarterbacks there and and pivot into kind of a final topic here today and and look at Alabama. Alabama is in a great state of transition in its program. Of course, the the highest profile transition is going from Bryce Young to whoever wins this starting quarterback competition. Um, So then the the guys we've mentioned there, Jalen Milrow and Ty Simpson headlining this thing. But But it goes beyond the transition at quarterback. Alabama now having to replace both of its coordinators after the departure of Bill O'Brien back to the NFL and Pete Golding, the defensive coordinator left for Ole Miss, the same role there. How big of deal is this? How much of a concern should this be for Alabama fans? We know Nick Saban has, has transitioned from coordinators before and he's done it uh, many times incredibly smoothly. There's been some times where I feel like he's upgraded in the coordinator transition, but this is a lot of change in your program in the same off season to lose your star quarterback and both coordinators. I'm not saying panic button here, but how concerned should Alabama fans be by all the turnover that that's going on here at Alabama? Well, I think it should be uh, fans should be very concerned because we're not just talking about a coordinator transition. Um, offensive and defense coordinators. As you said, he's done that repeatedly at all position coach with his position coaches as well and continued to win at the very highest level and continued to recruit at the highest level. But what's different about this is uncertainty at quarterback. 
uncertainty at running back from a standpoint of who's the next star running back? We don't know. Who's the next star receiver? When was the last time you could look at Alabama's depth chart and say, there's not a surefire all SEC quarterback, running back, or wide receiver? It's great uh, point. A, a, quite a proven track record there. And now there's uncertainty. It doesn't mean Alabama won't have good players there, but going into the season, looking at it from this vantage point, this doesn't look like Alabama. Do you think it's a, it's possible, you know, John, we've just come to Alabama. We've, we've thrown out the word rebuilding with Alabama. They, they never have to rebuild. They just reload. They send 10 guys to the draft and they're just as good next year. Usually I look at this, this recruiting class that Nick Saban just signed one of his best recruiting classes ever, according to the rankings, uh, something like 14 or 15 top 100 prospects. I believe it is. Do you think it's possible that this could be a bridge the gap type season? You're breaking in new coordinators, you're breaking in a new starting quarterback. Um, you know, if one of these guys, either Milrow or Simpson wins the job, you would have them back as a second year starter the following year. You'd have, you know, these guys from this, this recruiting class they just signed would be sophomores. Does it feel like this could be kind of a bridge the gap year for Alabama? I'm not saying they're going to go six and six. They got too much talent on the roster to go six and six, but could this be sort of the calm before the resurgence that kind of the, the, the last great stand of Nick Saban's career a guy that's in his seventies, you know, early seventies. Now uh, he has a little bit of a lull this year and I don't know what a lull looks like at Alabama. Maybe what's a lull at Alabama nine and three. And then they come storming back with a second year starting quarterback in 2024, a couple coordinators, maybe they're retaining going into their second season all these guys they just signed in this this 2023 recruiting class are are starting to take shape as sophomores. That's sort of where I see that kind of an early prognostication. I think Alabama is going to be very good this year, top 15 type team. I don't. I, I think LSU's stronger in the West. Uh, I think Georgia's stronger than the East. We've done our early power rankings, um, and I, I I just think I see Alabama not on that top perch. But I think I could see them back there as soon as a year from now. Yeah, much of it has to do with quarterback and also whom Saban picks as coordinators. Um, I, I really think uh, that's a good take. I mean, nine, nine and three to me is a lull for Alabama. Uh, I mean, maybe finishing near the bottom of the top 10 or just outside of it. That's not what we're accustomed to with Nick Saban football. It just doesn't happen very often. But it's kind of set up that way. So to me, LSU is clearly the better team with a really good coach. You, you don't have to worry about any Les Miles or Ed Orgeron moments with Brian Kelly. He's got the talent. He's got the experience. And he has a true, proven track record of developing that and, and maximizing it. So... I really like LSU, but then below LSU, and if you take the overall SEC, below Georgia, Alabama could still be the third best team in the nation's best conference. So there won't be, I don't foresee a significant drop. And if those freshmen excel toward the end of the season in 23, this could be a really stout team. It's just, it's just so un-Alabama-like 
the, the view we have of this program right now. It's just different. But I think that's a good prognostication that in 24, Alabama fans don't want to hear that, of course, but in 24, Alabama could be right back there at the top. Got to get a got to get a big time quarterback, though. Yeah, I know Alabama fans are probably losing their mind at the, the idea of us even suggesting they could go nine and three this season. But, you know, Alabama hasn't lost as many as three games in a season since the 2010 season. But if you look back at this past year, yes, Alabama was two plays away from from winning those games they lost. There were also three games that they won that were decided right at the end. Texas, Ole Miss, and uh, in Texas A&M. You know, there's, there's one play there that goes the other way. If, if Jackson Dart completes that pass into the end zone at the end of that game, Ole Miss can win that game. If, if Will Reichert misses that field goal against Texas, Alabama loses that game. Uh, if, if Texas A&M punches it in right at the end, Alabama loses that game. So, yeah, they weren't that far from losing a third game or even more this past season. And now you take Bryce Young off the roster. I do think um, this is a different type of, of offseason for Alabama than, than we normally see. At the coordinator spots, John, I, I think – I think I, I see the defensive coordinator maybe as a potential opportunity, whereas the offense, I guess I'd be a little more concerned about that, losing your, your quarterback and your coordinator. And as you said, I, I, it doesn't feel as clearly defined who the next wave of stars are at running back and receiver at Alabama as it has in some past years. Defensive coordinator, that defense has not been the elite Alabama-style defense since Jeremy Pruitt left as defensive coordinator. Of course, they went from Kirby Smart to Jeremy Pruitt, and Alabama throughout that whole run consistently had an elite defense. Since Pruitt left, it had good defenses, but not what we've come to expect from Alabama. And so I, I see that as a potential opportunity there, the transition at defensive coordinator. And I've even written, John, uh, the heck with all this NCAA stuff with Jeremy Pruitt. Of course, you know he's been under investigation for two years as part of the Tennessee saga, there was a notice of allegations. It seemed like anything they could have been accused of for a level one violation, they were. Uh, the NCAA has threatened a show cause. It has not reached the sanction stage yet. But a show cause does not mean you can't hire a guy. A show cause does not mean you can't employ a guy. It means you have to deal with whatever sanctions come from that, that penalty stage, or you have to show cause of why your guy should not be subject to it. So I've said if, if that's who Nick Saban really wants to hire, Jeremy Pruitt, I think you got to go for it and come what may in the, in the sanctions stage. What do you think about Pruitt back on the sideline in Alabama, the possibility uh, of that? <laughs> Absolutely scary. I saw too much of uh, Jeremy Pruitt's defenses at Tennessee to think he can come back and be the savior of Alabama's defense. When he, when he was a coordinator at Alabama, you're talking about elite talent. I'm not sure he has that much talent. If he would return to Alabama, I'm not sure if he would have that kind of talent. Uh, I didn't think he did much at all with Tennessee's defense. He didn't mask weaknesses. He didn't maximize what talent he had. I mean, there were games. We go to back to that classic upset loss to 25-point underdog Georgia State. Uh, to begin, I guess that was the uh, 2000 and uh, 19, 19 season. Yeah, uh -huh. he uh, the team couldn't even line up correctly 
uh, on defense. I remember talking in the press box and you would say, wait, they're going to run right there. There's no, there's no defender in that hole in that gap there. And sure enough, Georgia state would do as predicted. It was just, I'm just no longer sold on Jeremy Pruitt being some defensive guru. I would look elsewhere. There's some, um, there's some other good defensive coordinators out there and you don't have to worry about the NCA baggage. Do you really want Jeremy Pruitt out there on the recruiting trail with his, with his wife and babysitter in tow? Uh, no, well, I, don't I don't think, think that so. would be even a question. I doubt that he'd be allowed to be out on the recruiting trail. <laughs> oh, good point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the other name that surfaced here, according to multiple reports is Tom, Todd Grantham being a possible, candidate of course he's already on the staff as as an analyst would you rather have if, if those are the two options would you rather have jeremy pruitt or todd grantham i would look elsewhere <laughs> <laughs> i'd find another option i'd hire hey. jeremy pruitt i've i've somehow become a, a defender of jeremy pruitt john i've come full circle i don't know i don't feel like i really am but i i think to me it's a classic peter principal example he was qualified for the job he was doing he did it well at Georgia, at Florida State, at Alabama. I agree with you. He had elite talent at Alabama, but the fact that he did it at three different places, I know they had pretty good talent at all those places, but he was he was a really good coordinator at all three stops. I think that's a job he could do well. I think he got completely in over his head at, at Tennessee. He was never cut out to be a head coach, to be a CEO, and I think he lost what he was good at while trying to to do everything else as, as well. And he never, he never really was a fit for the role anyway, but you make some good points about how the defense at Tennessee couldn't even get aligned at times. So maybe you're right. Well, I, I think anytime you're going out to uh, hire a babysitter and you also ask the question, Hey, you think you could recruit football players? You got a problem. All right, John, uh, We'll continue to monitor these uh, these quarterback converse- competitions throughout the spring, but I, I feel like people can feel confident in our picks. We just we just told everybody who's going to be starting at these places with competitions. So rest assured, uh, you got your starting quarterback. The coach just hasn't announced it yet. Whether you like your starting quarterback or not, well, you might have to wait till September to find that out. Uh, we'll be with you in the meantime. Thanks for listening to this edition of SEC Football Unfiltered.